Thank you for checking out the Faith City Church podcast. We believe that you'll be blessed by today's message. So I want to start today. If you want to follow along, you can do so on the screens. Uh, you can also uh, do it on the YouVersion Bible app. You saw my wife held up her Bible. Um, we do have some physical copies as well, but it's nice for quick reference. But on the Bible YouVersion app, if you go down to the More tab and you select Events, then you should see somewhere near the top, it should pop up Faith City, Michigan campus. We put the uh, notes right there for you, the, the scriptures for you to follow along. You can even add your own notes and save it for further reference. So I encourage you to do that. But I want to get right into it today. The title of the message is this, and it's a question. I like to ask questions because I like us to think things through. And let me say this. I believe that this pulpit, this table, whatever you call it, is a place where we're not telling you what to do. We're teaching you how to think. We're teaching you how to hear that still, small voice. Right? So it's not one man telling you how you need to do it and what hoops to jump through. It's zeroing and it's bringing you to Scripture. It's, it's dividing that truth together, seeing what it's about, and then you on your own thinking, Holy Spirit, what does this mean for me? All right? So here's the question. Are you alienated from God? Are you alienated from God? We picked this up in the book of Colossians, and the, the apostle Paul here is writing to the church in Colossae. And I love what he says here. I'm going to start with verse 15. We're going to work our way down to this idea of alienation. He says this. He says, the Son is the image of the invisible God. Now, that statement alone is pretty powerful. Because what he's saying is, when you see Jesus, you see God. Come on. Because sometimes we get pictures painted or drawn of God that look nothing like Jesus. And he's saying the son of the image, the son is, I should say, the image of the invisible God. Look at this. The one who is first over all creation. Because all things were created by him, both in the heavens and on the earth. The things that are visible and the things that are invisible. Whether they are thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things, say all. All things were created through him and for him. Verse 17, he existed before all things, and all things are held together in who? Yeah. In him. He is the head of the body of the church, who is the beginning, the one who is firstborn from among the dead, so that he might occupy the first place in everything. Are you following the theme here? Paul has a high regard for Christ. I mean, he, everything's made by him, through him, it's for him, first place. This is beautiful. Look at this. Verse 19. Because all the fullness of God was pleased to live in him. And look at this. And he reconciled all things. How many things? All, all things to himself through him. Whether things on earth or things in the heavens, he brought peace through the blood of the cross. That deserves an amen right there. But look at this, verse 21. I want to key in on this. He says, once you were alienated. Do you notice he says, once you were. I want us to really, we're going to start zeroing in on some things here, some key phrases. I mean, you know, it's easy to just read the, read the English version of the Bible and miss so much depth. It says, once you were alienated from God and you were enemies with him in your, what? Mind. Minds, which was shown by your evil actions. But now, say but now. but now, if you're new here, I have you repeat a lot, kind of helps us work together. 
But now he has reconciled you by his physical body through death to what? To present you before God, this is good, as a people who are holy, we can say set apart, faultless, and without blame. But you need to remain well-established and rooted in faith and not shift away from the hope given in the good news that you've heard. This message has been preached throughout all creation under heaven, and I, Paul, became a servant of this, what? Good news. How many know the gospel is good news? So he, he says something key here in verse 21. He says, once you were alienated from God. What, what does the word alienated really mean? Well, by definition, it means experiencing or inducing feelings of isolation or estrangement. And what's really key here is it's saying something we experience, but do you notice what it says is it induces feelings of isolation and estrangement? This takes me back to the garden story. What did the serpent do? He, he tempted uh, Adam and Eve with a lie that they weren't who God said they were. He says, if you eat of this fruit, you'll be just like God. Well, here we are thousands of years later, and we could go, come on, guys, why don't you just say, uh, we already are. Come on. But this has been really the, the mental fight, if you will, the mental battle of mankind for millennia, trying to figure out this idea that we're connected to God, that we're connected to the divine, that in him we live, move, and have our being, the Apostle Paul says. And keeping that seat, you're going to hear that a lot, man, keeping that seat, staying in that seat, don't let anyone kick you out of that seat. But I see here that it's something that we experience and induces feelings of isolation and estrangement. How many know that in the garden story, that there, and this is the thing that I used to think, this is something I've done in my journey, is words matter, right? Um, and that's why it's important when we look in Scripture to look at the original Greek, the Hebrew, the original languages, because sometimes, unfortunately, English doesn't have the best words to translate things, right? And so we, we dig a little deeper to see what was being said. Somebody know that just one word in a sentence can change the meaning of the entire sentence. And so it's getting to this place where, you know, we're looking at this idea of, of, like even in the garden story, you know, I used to think that Adam and Eve were separated from God. But what's weird is the story goes on to show God with them in the garden after the fall. In fact, he, he comes to them in the cool of the evening and he, he covers them. He covers their shame. He covers their nakedness. And then he goes with them out of the garden. How do I know that? Because the very next story, Cain and Abel, guess who's right there telling Cain, Cain, send crosses at the door looking for opportunity. But the difference, it's not so much separation. It's estrangement. It's isolation. It's thinking you're something that you aren't. And that's been the story of humanity. Jesus came and said, repent. This is his main message. Repent. The word metanoia in the Greek means to change your mind. Why? You've been thinking wrong. You've been seeing yourself wrong. You've been seeing God wrong. Repent, for the kingdom of God is within you. Some people had to be awakened to the fact that the kingdom of God was even there. And how many know we still are doing that today through the gospel? Amen? It reminds me of a story. Is, is anyone familiar with the story of Lieutenant Hiro Onoda? Anyone familiar with him? He was actually part of the Imperial Japanese Army. We actually have a picture of him here. In this picture, he was 19 years old. World War II, 
I wasn't present for that, but I've read my history books. And so he was part of the Imperial Japanese Army. Well, when, the, when World War II ended, this is really a wild story. You know, when the war ended, I mean, there was a time of great celebration and joy all around the world. I mean, world wars are not a good thing. I mean, it just messes stuff up, right? And so you had millions of soldiers returning home to their families. They were in celebration. This was just an amazing, wonderful moment, but not Lieutenant Anoda. He felt like he had a duty, and he didn't believe the broadcasts that were saying the war was over. So he spent the next 29 years hiding in the jungles of the Philippines, refusing to go home. Uh, right? I mean, 29 years. The, the authorities knew he was still out there. He hadn't returned home. And so they would try to reach him with the news. They would drop from uh, airplanes. They would drop these leaflets that would announce that the war was over. But he just thought it was propaganda by the islanders, these enemies, to flush him out so that they could then, you know, incarcerate him or kill him or take him as a prisoner. They even were able to get into his hands letters from family, photos from family. Newspapers were dropped from airplanes just so he could see this is the latest news. But he saw this as nothing more than clever tricks to flush him out. Isn't this wild? Now, eventually, the Japanese government, they sent Onoda's former commanding officer through the jungles, you know, with a group of people. They finally found him, and there standing before his commanding officer from the war of almost 30 years ago, he told him to stand down, and that's what it took. He emptied his rifle of the bullets. He turned in his weapon. And for him, the war was finally over. And he returned with the hero's welcome. We have a picture right here. Look at this. Here he is, 29 years later, turning over his weapon to the president of uh, the Philippines there. I think it was Ferdinand Marcos. But this is 1974. This is 30 years after the photo we just previously saw. And so he lived a life, think about this, for three decades he lived a life where he was engaged in a war that existed only in his mind against an imaginary enemy that he feared and distrusted. And I tell you this story because sadly, this is how some people relate to God. We believe we're in opposition to God. We're, we believe we're in some type of, of, we're on this treadmill of religion to try to somehow get God to do things for us, to love us more, to give us more, when we're told in Scripture that we've been given all things for life and godliness. It's a done deal. It is finished, Jesus said, but yet we struggle. Why? Because we're alienated in our minds. We have a sense of isolation. We have a sense of estrangement. You know, some people are opposed to God in their minds or they think that God is against them on account of their sin and their missteps and they're not getting it perfect all the time. The thing is, they haven't heard that there's been an ending to the hostilities. There's been an ending to the war. The war is over. In fact, the war has been won by the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ. It's a war that's been won, but they don't see that. They don't see that now Christ sits on the throne. And guess what? We're seated with him. And so it creates this weird internal struggle where we're trying to be something that we already are, sons and daughters of God. Some people will go as far as to say that, or even think, I should say, that God hates them, that his anger is mounting, 
And so what do they do? They live under a lie. They refuse to come home. You know, even the prodigal son finally came to himself and realized, I'm in the wrong place, and came home. For some of us, we need to come home to the truth of who we really are, who God's made us to be. You know, in 12 years as a pastor, at least two decades in ministry, but 12 years as a pastor over, I was thinking about this today, probably over 40 years as a churchgoer, I've met so many believers who, they tell you that they believe the gospel but their lives reveal a different story. And, and it's, it's not on purpose. It's because of this. It's our thinking. It's how we think. And so instead of you know, benefiting from the gospel of peace, they're busy plowing the hard ground of do-it-yourself religion, trying to make something happen. Instead of drawing with joy from the wells of salvation, what did Jesus bring us salvation? What does that mean? It means safety, uh, deliverance, preservation, healing, wholeness. These are things that Jesus brought us. Instead of drawing on the joy of that, they're busy spinning their wheels in the pits of performance-based churchianity with good intentions, but just not knowing. And what I found, again, being a pastor, you see the dark side of things. You see the other side of people. They may be smiling on the outside, but here's the thing, on the inside, they're anxious, they're insecure, they're battling with guilt and condemnation. They're fearful of upsetting a touchy God, and they're trying to do everything right, right? Do everything they can to please the Lord with great intentions, but since they're never sure if they've done enough, guess what? They have no peace. I say that because I was there at one point in my life, trying and trying and trying, and then I realized not instantly, but through time, that God loved me, that his opinion of me never changed, and that he saw me differently than I saw myself. See, I would see myself as a sum total of my actions and words, but God sees me exactly as he created me, as his son. And he loves me. He loves me where I am. And what that did is it allowed me to then still do the things that I've done, the practices, reading scripture, praying, going to church, loving people, but from a different place. And I would say it like this, it's from a place of love rather than a place of fear. It makes such a difference, doesn't it? Others, on the other hand, run hard after the favor of God, but they never seem to arrive. They study the scriptures, they fast and pray, they do everything that they're told to do, but yet the promised blessings of the Christian life, you know, God's forgiveness, his acceptance, his, profet, his provision, and so on, they always seem to be just out of reach. Like I can't quite grab on to what God has given me. And so you see this scenario where they're squeezed between the demands of a holy God who expects nothing short of perfection, and yet on the other side, the flawed performance of their own broken lives. And Christians go through this all the time. I heard one uh, pastor say like this, the Christians are the most neurotic people on the planet. We just overthink everything. We are trying so hard. And I'm thinking, well, didn't Jesus, the Prince of Peace, promise a peace that's above all understanding? If we're not experiencing that, what are we listening to? Who are we listening to? Are we listening to that still small voice, right? Because it's one thing to testify on Sunday, but it's another that you're back in the confession mode on Monday. So we have to know our place. We have to know who we are 
in Christ. Because each time we stumble, I've been in this scenario where, man, every time I mess up, I'm like, okay, Jesus, I promise, man. I promise this time I'm going to do it better. And how many know this, that, that we're, we're not meant to be promise keepers. Jesus is the promise keeper. Come on, somebody. It's great to have good intentions. When I do something wrong, when some, I'm like, man, that's not what I'm built for. That's not what I'm made for. And there's a godly remorse. But, man, when we get down in that guilt, that shame, which creates hiding, then we can't even hear the voice of the Lord. And so it's important that we see this. The number one reason why many Christians are joyless and tired is because they've never heard the gospel of peace. They never heard the gospel of grace. I mean, you can, you know, you could go to visit any church on any Sunday morning. You could, you know, turn on a Christian uh, TV station. and You could maybe switch to a certain station on the radio. And chances are you'll hear anything and everything but the undiluted gospel. How do you know? Because that's how I used to preach. <laughs> but I'm learning. I'm growing. I'm realizing that. We can't hold anything back for fear that people may run with it and go crazy. I mean, the Apostle Paul did this. I mean, at one point in one of his letters, he had to tell them, you know, actually state this out, which I'm like, they should have known this. He says, you know, you ask, do we, should we sin more so grace may abound all the more? It's like, no, certainly not. But see, as, as pastors, we feel a responsibility. And so, you know, for years, I'd be like, man, it just... This gospel seems so good, but I, I don't want to give people a license to listen. When people's heart are changed by love, it changes their actions and their words. And so even as a minister of the gospel, I had to come to a place where I say, you know what, God, I trust you. I'm going to share the gospel with all its goodness, with all its grace in such a way that it's going to transform hearts, that you will be able to transform a heart. And when a heart's transformed, guess what? The actions are transformed. The words are transformed. Amen? Amen? And I would say this. We can't blame the preachers, right? Many of them are doing the best that they can. I know I was through every facet of this. I was thinking about this this morning that two years from now, I may look back at the notes for this message and go, huh, I've changed a little bit on what I think with that, right? We have to be open to change in our journey. But think about this. Whether it's preachers or anyone else, you can't give what you haven't got. You can't preach what you haven't heard. But I will say this, the gospel is good news. Amen? The gospel is good news. In fact, the word gospel literally means good news. If you dig really deep in the original language, it means almost too good to be true news. That's how good it is. That's when you know you're hearing the gospel. You're like, are you sure? That seems almost too good to be true. Amen? So by definition... If that's what the gospel is, any gospel that leaves you fearful of an angry or judgmental God is no gospel at all. Why? It's not good news. Any gospel that leaves you insecure and uncertain, forever wondering, am I accepted? Am I forgiven? Guess what? It's not good news. Any gospel that demands you sign up for a lifetime of progressive sanctification and yet offers no guarantee that you will ever make it, it's not good news. Any gospel that forces people to jump through hoops of religious performance is no gospel at all. So then what is the gospel, Pastor? I'm glad you asked. Let's check this out. Now for the good news. I'm going to go back to Colossians 1, 21 and 22. I want to dig into this for the next few minutes. I'll let you go here in just a few. 
The Lions aren't playing today, so where are you going to go anyway? <laughs> Look at this. Verse 21. I want us to, to really uh, punctuate some things that are being said here. First of all, he says, once you were alienated. I want us to key in. It says, once you were. Say, once you were. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies with him, where? In your minds, which was shown by your what? Evil actions. But now, say but now. Do you feel the shift? Once you were, but now. Say once you were, but now. There's a shift that happens. Look at this. He has reconciled you by his physical body through death. To present you before God as people who are set apart or holy, faultless and without blame. Now, I'm telling you what, somebody just heard that. I'm not saying thus saith the Lord, but I'm saying someone heard that because I know how I am in this growth. And they went, uh, without blame, not me. Faultless, not me. Holy, no, no, not me. But this is you. This is the real you. If your actions and words aren't reflecting Christ or holiness or faultless or blamelessness, then somewhere there is a cross and wires. We're not seeing ourselves for who we truly are. And I really, truly believe that that's my mission as a pastor, as a minister of the gospel, to get you in line with who you truly are. I heard a person say this that might have been Bishop Englehart, I'm not sure, but he said, if you look at the life of Jesus, he never called out the sin in someone. He called out the son. He would meet with people who the religious establishment had rejected. Now, in that system, when you reject it, it isn't just like, yeah, I unfriended them on Facebook. It meant you weren't welcome at temple. It meant you could not worship with the others. Can you imagine the rejection that people felt? And Jesus would hang with these people. He would share a meal with those people, right? That's how they would see it. But what happened is he would transform their life by his goodness, by his love. Scripture tells us that we are what? That we are drawn to repentance through what? His kindness. And Jesus was kind. He was good. And here's the thing. Jesus, you know, he never pulled punches when it came to the religious community who were excommunicating and rejecting people. But he also never said this. You think about just about every time that someone came to him, like the woman who was caught in the very act of adultery. You know, when everything was said and done and she was going, what did he say? He said, go and sin no more. He wasn't saying, I'm for it, doesn't matter. He's like, the reason that you're sinning is because you don't know who you are. Right? I'm not going to get into it deep, but that word sin is the word hamartia in the Greek. And it literally means to live out of false identity. You don't know who you are. And so he's saying, all right, I begin to reveal to you the truth of who you are. So go and live the life you were meant to live. It wasn't a threat. It was a promise. But now he has reconciled you by his physical body through death to present you before God as a people who are holy, faultless, and without blame. Now, something here that's really awesome is the word um, evil here. He says, once you were alienated from God, you were enemies with him in your mind, which was shown by what? Your evil actions. This, this word evil in the Greek is the word paneros. And it's described in Thayer's lexicon to mean this, 
annoyances, hardships, and labors. It's the same word they use, um, the love of money is the root of all evil. So when we hear evil, what do we think? We just got out of Halloween. There was all kinds of evil going on, right? All kinds of movie. We think, ooh, we're planning to do devious deeds. What it's saying is you once were alienated. We could say you had a feeling of isolation, estrangement. And because of that, you thought in your mind that you were an enemy of God. And it caused you to live a life of annoyances and hardships and labors. You were trying so hard. And I would say this. This doesn't just apply to non-believers. This is believers as well. People who just, I've been there struggling and striving and trying so hard. Why? Because I felt estranged from God. Even though I prayed a prayer and came to an altar, I still felt that. I felt like I didn't measure up. I would be one of those who would hear this idea that Jesus, through full reconciliation, has made me wholly faultless and without blame. And I thought, okay, well, not yet. I want to look at this in the Mirror Bible translation. It's so cool. He says this, verse 21 and 22. He says, your indifferent mindset alienated you from God into a lifestyle of annoyances, hardships, and labors. Yet, he has now fully reconciled and restored you to your original design. This word reconcile is beautiful. It's in the Greek, and I probably won't pronounce it you know, completely right, but it's apokatalasso, and it means fully restored to the original value. Look at that person. Look at the apokalaptasso, whatever, next to you, and say you've been fully restored to your full worth and value. Now, for some of us, that's even hard to say something like that, isn't it? Because we don't see ourselves with that worth. We don't see ourselves with that value. But it's something that we need to see. Think about this. The gospel is the joyful news that God is good, that he loves you. He will happily give, you, give up everything he has so he can have you. This is what we see in the cross. And contrary to popular belief, God is not mad at you. In fact, he's not even in a bad mood. <laughs> Come on. The good news declares that God is happy, that he's for you, and he wants to share his life with you forever. Isn't that awesome? I know it seems almost too good to be true. That's right. It's the gospel. And this is really how, how, how it happens. And you say, Pastor, how do you know this is true? One statement, Jesus is the proof. On the cross, God showed that he loved us while we were yet sinners and that he would rather die than live without us. When I think of that picture on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I mean, it just, it spells everything out for me. So many humans are running around who don't know what they're doing. They don't know who they are. But guess what? We're beginning to see it, aren't we? And as we do, we can share that same message of hope and deliverance and love with those around us. And what's great is you don't even have to tell them how dirty, rotten, and filthy they are. You don't have to tell them that God's mad at them. You don't have to bring them in through fear. I say this all the time. If you're born of fear, you live in fear. If you're born of love, you live in love. And I've lived in both. And let me tell you, love is better. Love dealt with my issues. Love dealt with my addictions. Love dealt with how I thought about myself. Love dealt with how I saw God. And it changed everything. 
why it changed my heart. It's a beautiful way to live. We stand secure, not on our feeble promises to him, but on his unbreakable promises to us. This is how we get to live. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't it an amazing way to live? And that's it. God loves you, and he wants to be with you. If you want the gospel in a nutshell, God loves you, and God wants to be with you. Plain and simple. He's not looking down on you thinking, oh, what a filthy, rotten person. You know what? Do you know why God hates sin? Because sin hurts us. Because sin is us not seeing ourselves for who we truly are. But he doesn't hate us. I know that's hard for some to believe. I usually use this, this idea. Um, has anyone here have a, a loved one or you yourself gone through cancer? How many would say you hate cancer? Yeah. When they were going through that, some went through it and were cured or went into remission. Others died. But was there one moment while they were going through cancer, the cancer you hated, that you hated them for having the cancer? No. If you did, we need to pray for you afterward. <laughs> you need to learn how to separate the cancer from the person, right? But see, that's how I see sin. Sin's a sickness. It's a disease. It's, it's a place of not seeing ourselves as we truly are. And I know personally from experience in my own life, the more that I realize who I am, the less I sin. You just make better decisions in life. You make better choices. And not every sin's all like, ooh, you know, you're in a dark closet, you're doing some really bad stuff. Sometimes it's just our mouth, right? The way we respond to people. Sometimes it's our thinking, which then in turn, you know, our words come from that thinking, but it's our thinking about others. And there's still times in my life I'll be going around and something will happen, and I'll see it, and I'll get a thought, and I'll go, whoa, that's not a godly thought. That's not who I am. Why would I think that of that person? And in those moments, Holy Spirit deals with me a little more. He brings healing to that lie that I believed in my soul. And he heals me. He brings this new way of seeing things. It's absolutely beautiful. I love it. No one's going to take me out of my seat. I know where I stand with God. Amen. And so it seems really simple, but it's the, it's the biggest truth in the universe. We will spend eternity discovering in a billion different ways the limitless expressions of God's unending love. And I've made it a mission in my life to do that. Every day when I wake up, I remind myself, God, you love me. I'm the apple of your eye. It's just wonderful. Man, this is what we're made for. We're made to receive and respond to his divine love. And I say that because response matters. Something could be done, it could be finished, but if you don't know about it and don't respond, you'll never benefit from it. And that's where faith comes in. And I think faith is more of a thing of going, wait, 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 it's this good? That's who you've made me to be? Uh, trusting that story sometimes takes faith, doesn't it? On a daily basis to wake up and go, okay, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Yeah, but you, nope, there's no yeah buts in the kingdom of God. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. The more you awaken to that, the more you'll walk in that. Amen? And so faith allows us to step into what God has already done for us and then begin to receive and benefit from it. This is the fundamental law of our existence, and I believe the reason for our being. This is the best news you've ever heard. Amen? Will you stand with me? 
So to answer the question this morning, really the title, are you alienated from God? Well, the answer is no, you are not alienated from God. Come on, somebody. But here's the thing. Do you believe it? I said it before. There's something. Well, you do, Bruce, but I'm asking others. Don't answer. Do you believe it? It's important that we believe it. Believing is where we benefit. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for just another opportunity to look into Scripture, another opportunity to hear your voice. I pray this morning that as we were worshiping and and even going through the message, that we begin to come to this place of seeing ourselves differently, a place of seeing you differently. And I know that's not a one-and-done overnight thing, Salvation is not a one-and-done thing. The apostles tell us to those who are being saved, to those working out their salvation. And so this is just another facet of the journey, being with you, learning to hear your voice, learning to see ourselves as you truly made us to be. And so we say, yes, we accept your story about us because there's voices all around us, including our own at times, that are telling us a story about ourselves. But we choose to believe your story about us. That you did reconcile us, Jesus. It's a done deal. That we are holy. That we are acceptable. That we're without fault and blame. Say this with me. Heavenly Father, I trust you. I trust your story about me. I am reconciled. I am blameless. I am accepted. Help me, Holy Spirit, to see that about myself. And if there's areas in my life where I don't see that, show those to me and bring me truth, Jesus. I receive it by faith in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. God is awesome. For more information about Faith City Church, please go to faithcity.tv. As always, we pray that you would grow in the knowledge and grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.